Hello and welcome to another great episode of ISS EDU Learn, Ask Me Anything with Mike and Dana, where you ask the questions and we seek the answers. This is episode number 10. I am your host, Mike P., your favorite educator interviewer. I am here with my co-host, Dr. Dana Watts, who is the Director of Research and Outreach at ISS. AMA is brought to you by ISS, International School Services. Join in as we explore all that you need to know about international school services from the curriculum, DEIJ, marketing to HR. Before we get started today, just a few housekeeping items that I want to go over. Don't forget to hit subscribe, like, and leave us a review. We could be found on Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Spotify. We have a few upcoming events. If you go over to iss.edu slash events in January 11th, we have Peace for New Year, Building Resilience and Emotional Agility in International Schools on January 17th, Creating Agility Learning Spaces on a Budget on January 24th and 31st, and 31st, which is a two-part series, or Orienting Support Staff to Our International Schools. And just a look at February of 2023, you have rebooting assessment and standards-based grading in secondary years. On February, that'll be February 1st. On February 7th, design thinking in the PYP. And on February 21st, handling and managing complaints in international schools. So please do head over to iss.edu slash events in order to get started. Dana, you here with us? How are you? I'm here. How are you, Mike? <laughs> I am doing all right. And who do we have with us today, Dana? Today we have the fabulous Damien Cooper. So Damien wrote this awesome book called Rebooting Assessment, which anyone in the world of education knows that assessment and assessment practices have needed to be rebooted for quite some time now. And Damien has done a fabulous job of really laying that out and what that looks like and what that feels like uh, within our schools. So Damien, we're thrilled to have you here today. Thank you. Delighted to be here. Thanks, Dana. Thanks, Mike. Damien, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Oh, that's good to hear. So Damien, just going to get started. So if you wanted to introduce yourself to our audience and kind of talk about yourself a little bit, but, and then after that, my very first question would be, how did you start your career in international schools? Thanks, Mike. Yes, well, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of heading into, dare I say, semi-retirement at this point. I began my career in the 70s as a high school English drama and special education teacher. But in the mid-80s, I, uh, one thing led to another, and I became involved and interested in assessment of student learning. That became a passion for me in the mid-80s and has remained such to this point in my life, my, I think, 44th year in education. And I've enjoyed a variety of roles. I've worked in educational publishing here in Canada, where I live. I live uh, just west of Toronto. I interestingly, my teaching career, I, I, I would teach for a while and then find another opportunity, then go back into the classroom. So the classroom was very much my uh, laboratory, I suppose, which was a wonderful opportunity to have. And then in 2004, I launched my own consulting business, Plan Teach Assess. And that continues to this day with wonderful opportunities, including uh, international travel. So back to you, Mike. Oh, very nice. 
ask a quick follow-up question. So it's interesting that you started your own consultancy in, in 2004, because that's right at the cusp when technology was really hitting our classrooms. And I'm wondering, like, did you have to make a shift, like, as you were going into consulting and then classroom dynamics were changing and the access to technology was just starting to really, really take off? How did you navigate that piece? Well, I have to confess that that I I, I came to um, uh, technology as somewhat of a Luddite, and I perhaps am showing my age, but but also realizing the potential and the reason ultimately that my colleague Jeff Catania and I wrote rebooting assessment was because we'd seen more and more of the potential of in particular handheld technology tablets and smartphones far from banning them in our schools which is the worst thing we can do because then they just kind of go underground we realized how incredibly powerful they can be to capture evidence of learning in the moment so i have become a great flag waver for the power of digital evidence and we'll perhaps talk about that more through the session fantastic in 2004, once that's when you said you started your consulting, right? And now we're in 2022, and I'm sure you've seen a whole lot of things just kind of emerge from 2020 COVID era. Yeah. What would you say is the most inspiring thing uh, that you've seen uh, for standard-based grading that you can see, you know, there's a powerful future for? Well, I, I think, um, you know, that, that there was, dare I say, somewhat of a silver lining to, to the pandemic in that it caused educators at all levels from pre-K through to post-secondary to examine what teaching and learning looks like from an instructional standpoint. If you're, if you're teaching online, it changes everything. Less is more, if you like, <laughs> because it's, it's more difficult to keep the learner engaged if you're not right there in front of them. But the other thing that's been really interesting to me is, is the way that assessment has, has come under the microscope through COVID. And the downside has been, particularly in post-secondary, and a lot of this research I quote in rebooting assessment, the energy and indeed the, the financial resources going into how do we move assessment online, instead of being sort of how do we look at it very, very differently, given that we don't have the option of secure testing, but but so much of the emphasis at, at post-secondary seemed to be how do we stop kids from cheating when they're when they're engaged in tests and examinations online, which for me was a really really sad uh, misdirection. Instead, we I think we needed to say as indeed has been happening in the K to twelve framework for years. What are some alternative approaches to assessment besides sort of the paper and pencil? Uh, realizing, of course, that very young children, um, we've used observation and conversation extensively with very young children before they can write. But it seems that the moment the child can, can write, we'll have them write a piece, we'll have them do a quiz, or we'll have them write a report, or we'll have them write a term paper, or we'll have them write a steward exam. And I'm, I'm really thrilled. And I think perhaps, I, not perhaps, I'm sure that, that COVID has accelerated the embracing of alternative forms of assessment, because apart from anything else, we, we've needed to hold students' attention. We've needed to engage them more. Uh, so I'd like to think that perhaps, as I said, part of the silver lining of the pandemic 
has been this examination of all of teaching and learning in, from an instructional point of view. And it's why, of course, my latest work is called Rebooting Assessment, because uh, I think that that's, as Dana said in her opening comments, that's long overdue. And, and I'm seeing some, some really positive moves. But we've got a long way to go. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you have a favorite alternative assessment that you've seen that really works well? It's about balance. It's not any one form. Mm. Um, as I keep going back to in a, a somewhat hackneyed, perhaps, analogy, but I always talk about how do we certify drivers? You know, um, we would, God forbid, not want to share the road with young drivers who've, who've acquired their license and been certified purely on the basis of scoring 90% or better on the multiple choice test. That's a test of knowledge based on the rules of the road. In no way is, is that an appropriate, a valid means of assessing the skills that they have uh, as they drive a car with unexpected uh, incidents happening. Heaven forbid, Dana, I can't help but think of your daughter as I'm talking about this, this example. So, so, Mike, in response to your question, there's not a favored form of assessment for me. It's hugely got to be about what is the most valid means of assessment given these learning outcomes. And if we want to assess retention of knowledge, then yes, the tried and true traditional approaches are still, are still valid. Um, uh, because there, there is factual knowledge that must be uh, consolidated um, as, as a foundation. But if we want to, to assess students' competencies and skills in a dynamic way, then we have to observe them while they engage in complex performances. And if we want to probe their understanding, not their knowledge, but their understanding, of course, as Grant Wiggins emphasized, Understanding is so much more complex than knowledge, where knowledge is a function of memorization. But understanding is when students have that aha moment and they get it. And there's no better way to reveal growing understanding than by listening to conversations between students, among students, and indeed the student talking to the teacher. Because, of course, in the conversation, unlike the test, the teacher can probe based on what a student's responses are so it's an invaluable tool so uh, triangulation of assessment is key appropriate uh, use an appropriate mode according to the targets being set so and Damien do you think it's extra difficult for um, teachers now because like in the past right we always gave one assessment everyone got the same assessment we use an assessment year in year out and now what I love um, but I think it's difficult on teachers is you know there's a lot of voice and choice uh, for students to be able to figure out what's the best way they want to be assessed so you know towards um, my last few days in the classroom um, just a few years ago, you know, my students would have like anywhere from five to 12 different ways that they could showcase their knowledge. And I loved it. I loved it as a teacher. I loved the fact that I wasn't grading, you know, the same assessment. Sometimes I'd have up to 100, 120 students. And so, you know, you, you don't want to have to grade the same assessment that many times. But it also is a lot of extra hard work making sure the rubric, you know, fits and once and that you're clear on your expectations so students go don't go off and they're showcasing some sort of knowledge there's nothing to do with what it is so how do we get back to like kind of I guess like the roots of being able to retrain or help teachers understand what this is without putting an extra burden on them 
Yeah, such a key question, Dana, and certainly one that, that I deal with in rebooting assessment. I always go back to the phenomenal work of Grant Wiggins and Jay McTighe and how essential it is to plan backwards from desired outcomes. Begin with the end in mind. What is the evidence I need to have at the end of this year, at the end of this course, in order to, to be able to, in Wiggins' words, convict students of learning. It's a, it's a beautifully powerful um, uh, analogy. So that, that's about being efficient and being intentional, not gathering masses of evidence in one area of the curriculum and precious little or nothing in other areas. You say, what are the essential learnings? And there are not hundreds of them. There's a manageable number. What uh, type of assessments do I need to use to gather uh, evidence of each of, of these learnings in the most valid way possible? So you plan backwards, uh, which also means that you have performance assessments that are complex and, and maybe go over multiple days. My dream is that we don't have uh, summative assessments that are only subject specific, given that so many of the competencies that we need to be assessing, according to sort of 21st century learning models, many of these cut across subject areas. So why can we not have performance assessments that integrate uh, learning outcomes from um, mathematics and science, from social studies and 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 English, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, I'm part of this is sort of big picture thinking, and different teachers are in different places on this. But the critical thing is to begin with the end in mind, to plan backwards. The other thing, as Douglas Rees reminds us, is if using performance assessment and using handheld devices to capture learning in the moment digitally, then a huge question, the first question has to be, what am I gonna stop doing? What am I going to do less of? And also with respect to booting assessment, it's it's putting far more onus on uh, and responsibility on the students to gather and curate their own evidence which if, if we're using digital devices, whether it be a tablet or a smartphone, while they're engaged in a complex learning task, students themselves can be recording and then, then decide, Mr. Cooper, I really need you to see these two minutes of what we were doing because it shows where the penny dropped. So assessment must be a shared responsibility. It's not something that teachers do to students. It's, it's, it's a collaborative venture. So those are some of the, the sort of concomitant changes, shifts in thinking and practice that need to occur if we're going to move with the times, if we're going to reboot assessment. We cannot simply do all these, take new approaches on top of everything we've traditionally done. What am I going to let go of? Jamie, no, I, th I think you totally hit the nail on the head there. And I think you're right with, you know, when you're when we talk about like the students showcasing their learning, if they're showcasing their learning over time, there's less opportunity to cheat because you can see whether they're actually doing the work or not. And I think I'm a huge proponent of e-portfolios. I always have been. So you can see the progression of learning and the students kind of own their academic knowledge and they and they can showcase you know their own learning journey. And I think I hate it when I also hear teachers complain about, oh, if they're online or if it's you know a digital assessment of some sort, they can cheat. Like, students have always cheated, but if we design the assessments correctly, they're not cheating because it's not a cheatable assessment. It is an accumulation of their learning over that's been gathered over time. And it's so much easier to address that question at that point. Absolutely. And, 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 and the problem of cheating is largely a function of curriculum and assessment that is fact-driven and knowledge-driven. 
and that there is a body of content to be mastered. This is why, you know, we, we insisted on secure tests and exams. Students must see it ahead of time. But if instead of, of focusing on massive amounts of content to be memorized, we're instead looking at more sophisticated learning targets, which has to do with, with uh, demonstrating critical thinking, problem solving, creativity across a variety of contexts, then the, the cheating problem to a large part resolves itself and goes away. Um, and, and I'm really gratified to see a shift in what curriculum looks like uh, globally and, and a realization that um, content needs to sort of be dramatically reduced while competence and skills get ramped up. And that's a very positive shift that I've been witnessing over the last 15 years, 10 years. So Damien, I'm gonna put a request in to the International School Committee for them to change standard-based grading reporting to shared-based grading reporting. What do you think about that? Well, I don't know that Ken O'Connor would be thrilled about that proposal. Um, I, I think the notion of focusing on standards is critical if we're going to move people off organizing their grading data according to um, uh, assessment strategy, tests, quizzes, uh, projects, homework, etc. And instead we say, what are the critical things that students need to demonstrate proficiency in? So that that shift is really, really important. When I talk about collaboration and sharing, that's collaboration and sharing around the standards-based framework. So I think, you know, one is the what and the other is the how. The what is the shifting to standards from assessment task, and the how is making this a much more shared collaborative process involving students, educators, and indeed parents where appropriate. So one of the questions- And Mike, are, you know- yeah, Go, go for it. Uh, what I was thinking, okay, I was thinking that when you were saying that, it's almost like sharing some of the standards. Like I see, I think I know where you were trying going with that too, though. Like there are very similar, there's a lot of similarities in between some of the standards for science, as there are for math, as there are for English, as there are for humanities, because they're transdisciplinary skills. And if we start designing assessments that are transdisciplinary in nature, then we end up being able, like, then we're working smarter instead of harder. Right now, often, teachers are assessing similar si similar standards in different subject areas, and we could share those so that we're not all trying to assess the same exact skill. Dana, I, I want to thank you because I clearly misunderstood Mike's point about sharing who what I, I interpret it in terms of responsibility for assessment being shared but but you were picking up on Mike you were picking up I think on my earlier point about standards that are not uh, subject specific and and so I, I apologize that I, I I see exactly where where you intended to go with that it makes an awful lot of sense but even you know within subject areas I was working um, uh, at the end of last week with um, independent school and uh, with the science department. And they were beginning to realize how they could have a common rubric that actually identified all of the critical learning across all of their science courses in the school. Um, and that what changes, so, so the rubric identifies the scientific competencies to do with scientific inquiry, understanding, et cetera. And what shifts from unit to unit, from grade to grade, from course to course is the specifics and whether they're looking at chemistry or biology or, or, 
or physics or whatever it may be, and the degree of complexity. But the actual competencies and skills being assessed are the same ones. They just they just increase in complexity. So that's where this notion of less is more. And it's also to take the words of Rick Stiggins from many years ago, most students can hit the target if they can see it clearly and it stays still. So if we shift the rubric for every task the students are working on, we're, we're shifting the target, which is just going to cause confusion and the kids don't know what they're shooting for. So it is, it's a powerful, powerful um, shift to make in our practice. Steve, did you have something that you wanted to say? Yeah, I do, Damien. Thank you. And thank you, Mike. Uh, Damien, what advice do you have for school administrators who are responsible for ensuring their schools have a guaranteed and viable curriculum, yet assessments are individually personalized by teacher, by classroom, by individual student? So an administrator has to evaluate the progress of their students say by elementary school or by grade level. What advice do you have for them? Yes, and, and let's face it, the buck stops with the school administration. And, and in, in, the, in the most successful examples I'm seeing and the most gratifying work to do, um, the, the reforms have been requested and, and being led by the administration. And again, um, once I get the best examples from my point of view, begin with what, what do our graduates, our grade 12 graduates need to look like, understand, know, be able to do. And then our entire uh, planning is backwards from our graduate outcomes. And, and if you begin with that, then the, the grading issues, what the reporting formats need to look like, that all starts to fall into place if you have this vision of your graduate. Um, however, very often it, it's, it's the opposite kind of problem. I mentioned the science department I was working with last week, and they are realizing that um, being required as they are, all teachers are in that school by the administration to have a numerical grade on the interim report card in November, that's actually working at cross purposes to what they want to do and what they're trying to do, which is spend that first term determining students' areas of strength, areas of need, doing some individualizing, some differentiating, realizing different groups of students need different amounts of feedback, different kinds of formative assessment, different amounts of formative assessment, so that teachers can begin to ensure that by the end of the course, all students will be proficient in those essential learnings. And it's an absolute um, uh, uh, fly in the ointment. It's a roadblock. It's an obstacle if teachers are required to come up with percentage grades in November. So there's an example of um, sort of the, the, the tail wagging the dog. We, we, we need to, so I talked about to the science department, there needs to be discussion at the heads council. There needs to be discussion with the administration about what ultimately is the mission of our schools and is our approach curriculum, instruction, assessment and grading aligned or are things currently working at cross purposes? Yeah, and the reason I, I asked that question is very relevant uh, even now with one of the schools I work with, the administrator is looking at uh, some of his staff and asking the question, what assessments have you documented so that you can share with parents at the end of this school year, in addition to the student portfolio and the students collected evidence of the work? And of course, we have some teachers that wonderfully documented and others that say, oh, I kind of forgot to do that. <laughs> 
Yes, in, indeed. But I mean, back to Dana's point about the portfolio, one of the, 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 the wonderful features of the portfolio is that it's a dynamic ongoing window on the student's learning. And so the portfolio allows for gathering evidence diagnostically um, in terms of initial assessment, what does the, the child bring to the classroom? It's also a window on the formative process, the process of learning as the, as the child is, is making mistakes and, and realizing what they need to do differently. And then there can be that showcase element of the portfolio, which is the summative evidence that we use for the student to feel good about themselves, the teacher to be able to say, you've got it, Steve, and, and the sharing with, with the parent. But indeed, the parents can look in on, on that initial, that diagnostic and the formative. But, but a key element that we're talking about here, and particularly this is a problem in independent uh, international and private schools, the parents want to see that first report card with numbers on it because they want affirmation that their child is an A student. This notion of there are A students, B students, C students is again, anathema to all that we're talking about in terms of enlightened standards-based grading. Because if the student is appropriately placed in their grade level, then we would expect them not to be getting, you know, achieving the highest levels of, 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 of uh, uh, performing at the highest levels of achievement in November, because then they should probably be in the next grade level. So there is a massive amount of work to do with our, our parents to help them understand what a standards-based approach to grading looks like. And that this is not just certifying their child from the first day they walk into the classroom that you're an age student. Big, big shift. Damien, one thing I was gonna just piggyback on is also, I think a portfolio is an open opportunity for that, where you know, if you have an e-portfolio and you can showcase where a student was and then their growth over time, that says far more than any number or letter that we assign to a student. And I remember having a, a difficult conversation with a group of my parents at a school where I had a lot of English as additional language students. And um, they said, well, now you're having them, you know, display work that isn't perfect. And I said, they're let's look at their growth over the period of a year. I'm like, when you look at the amount they learned over such a short period of time, that shows exponential growth. I'm like, so you don't want to show that they were perfect from the beginning because then what did they learn? And the parents were like, oh, and it's like, see, like there's, there's a purpose to my madness. Like it works. We don't want students to be perfect from the start because then they didn't actually showcase any learning. Exactly. But again, Dana, once again, this is where the power of digital evidence is, 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 is amazing, because if the report card is, is only a crude summary of what's actually gone on in the classroom, but if the report, and it's a conversation starter, nothing more, and yet it's too often been seen as the be all and the end all, it's just numbers on a page, or hopefully some anecdotal comments as well. But if we can then use very brief video clips to illustrate three points in the, in, in the term, here's how your child was reading uh, when we began. Here's your child at an interim conference and here's your child at the end of the term. Just brief snippets accompanied by, by a, a learning progression, accompanied by a, a rubric for reading skills, then suddenly, if we're still using a number or a letter grade on the report card, 
it, it, it has some tangential, it's got some evidence, it's got something tangible that, that, that pair, oh, now I get it. But the number in and of itself is, is utterly meaningless. I mean, I'm, look, I'm a big fan of the World Cup. I'm reading The Guardian each morning and I'm, I'm reading these player profiles. And if you click on a player profile, it doesn't just have an, it doesn't have any average scores. It has a rating of each player's performance in the three or the four games played so far. It has anecdotal descriptions of what each player did really well and where, where they messed up. And then you click on, on this other little link and you can see a video, short video clip with evidence of, of what that report has just said. In a nutshell, that's that's what reporting to parents needs to look like. Exactly. I think this e-portfolio is. I I like the idea, and the reason I like it is because I was uh, raised by immigrant parents who didn't necessarily understand what was going on in the school. But one thing they know, I need to get A's. <laughs> they don't know how I got it. They just know just A's. So it made it. So if you did get a B, it made you seem like you were not competent enough to, to be there. And then your, your parents, they treat you accordingly to that B. So if there was an e-portfolio to sit them there and to show them the progression of what was going on, I really think that would actually you know, ease up some burden on some immigrant students. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, and also help them to understand why if you're getting A's in the first report card, then you're in the, in the wrong grade level because you won't be learning much. You'll just mm. be cruising. You'll mm. just be cruising throughout the year. And that's what they wanted. They just wanted A's. So I, and I, what you're saying is correct. <laughs> you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be the smartest one in the room. Right. Right. All right. As we I see the time, as we end off, I just want to thank you, Damien, for being here with us today. Did you have did you want to share with our guests where they can contact you? And Yes, but by all means, I still am one of these old school people who loves email. So DamienCooper11 at gmail.com. My Twitter handle is at CooperD1954. And my website is PlanTeachAssess, no periods, PlanTeachAssess.com. And those are sort of the, the uh, easiest ways to, to get in contact with me. But I do need to reiterate that I'm sort of sliding into semi-retirement. So. <laughs> awesome. One last question. Did you have a one book that you went to recommend? Well, I, I mean, I'm currently actually reviewing for our Canadian Assessment for Learning Network newsletter, Ken O'Connor's third edition of 15 Fixes for Broken Grades. So again, Ken's work is superb. And this latest edition is so rich because it's full of teacher vignettes it's full of actually policy examples it's full of assessment tools that that Ken's come across in his work that's currently what what's on my reading list but I I found myself going back once again I was working with the Manitoba Department of Education to help them revise their reporting procedures this spring and I went back to two wonderful little books by Tom Gusky On Your Mark and Get Set Go two slim volumes dealing with in such a common sense way tom tom's writing is fabulous and it's so grounded in research so i uh, i tip my hat to uh, to those two ken and to tom thank you so much for that i'm actually gonna go and dabble into those dana anything you wanted to end off with 
I just want to say thank you so much. And if anyone's interested, Damien and Ken are co-teaching a course again for us in February. We'd love to have you join us on rebooting assessment in the secondary years. So we'd love to have you join us. And Damien, it's been awesome chatting with you. And um, I'm super psyched to know that we're both equally passionate about e-portfolios. We have to have another chat sometime. Sure. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dana. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, uh, Mike. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much to all the guests listening in, to Steve who stopped in. Thank you again. Don't forget to follow our page to receive notifications about our new episodes that we release. We release every Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in. Kindly head over to iss.edu slash events to see feature PDs that ISS is offering for the school year of 2022 and 2023. If you love the show, please subscribe, rate, and leave a review. We could be found on Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Spotify. Don't forget to follow ISS on all our social media platforms. See you next episode. Bye-bye. <laughs>